Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. That was good. Uh, uh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Thad. Yes. And my other co-host, Kara. Hi, Thaddeus. Jeremiah is also here. I don't know if you know. Hi, Jeremiah. (laughs) Are you here? Hello. It's so nice to hear you. I can't see you. I can't see either one of you as well. Um, so, uh, today we're going to be doing a, a different episode than normal. We won't be talking about a movie per se. We're going to be looking, taking a look back over how we've been doing the propaganda. Yeah, because we figure that now that we don't have an active fascist at the head of the executive branch, we can take a moment to <laughs> you know, be like, what have we been doing? What's this about? <laughs> right. What's going on? Okay, so when I first started this, it was a mixture of things. Mm-hmm. It was the active fascists in the White House. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was people being bizarrely angry that movies were political. <laughs> right? Yeah. And people doing this weird thing where they would be like, you have to separate not just the art from the artist, but like your opinions it's from the like movie. The, it's, it's like... It, it, the death of the author, plus also the death of any context at all. Right. Nothing gets to you. All of, or or imagining that context is new. It was, yeah, it was, it's weird. Well, it was also not just the death of the author, but it was the death of the reader. Because it's like, well, you you can't read politics into it either. Right. So, uh, okay. They wanted to imagine art as unconnected and unallowed to be connected <laughs> to anything. If you ever wanted to just watch something in a vacuum and be utterly dull and have nothing to say, well, then I guess you could do that. Uh, I get, yeah. All right. I thought you were about to dunk on a movie, and my mind was running through all the possibilities that you were going <laughs> to going to say, and I'm I'm a little disappointed. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's basically, and also I noticed a lot of people. And I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but the people who were the most mad about politics in films were the people who didn't know their own politics. Yeah, the mm-hmm. the the sort of autopilot politics. Right. The sort of belief that politics means um, government regulations, and that's the beginning and end of all politics. Yeah, politics is when the government does things. <laughs> um, so that is why I started and so that is what, like, the framework I try to set out of teasing out political messaging in film. Mm. And the Antifa aspect was, again, well, we were in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Fascists in the White House. And... Massive race protests. <laughs> massive Black Lives Matters protests. So I was like, you know what, maybe we should talk about how this affects art. And how art, over the years, has been saying essentially the same thing over and over. Yeah, it's almost like uh, political content is uh, one thing that art kind of can't escape, uh, yeah. as long as it's part of, you know, society uh, <laughs> or something. I, I, I think part of what it is, is people who watch older movies tend not to have any great knowledge of political history. Mm. And so they watch an older movie and just assume because they were a child, they didn't know what was going on that it was part free of any political motive. 
Well, that, that actually ties to something that I think is important to bring into the conversation, which is uh, what, what fascism specifically means or makes use of. Right. Because, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, the, the, the series is provocatively titled, you know, Antifa Propaganda, which is <laughs> not, not, not perfectly accurate to everything that we talked about uh, by any means, but accurate to the spirit of sort of what we ourselves as critics are doing. I would say. Right. Well, and, it... and part of what you're saying right then, sorry, let me step, finish this thought, Kara, and then I'll shut up, um, mm-hmm. is that, that that idea of a past where things were better, that you can get back to, where things weren't so political, like that is something that fascism makes use of to take power, like about making X country great again. Like that is that is one of the bullets in their chamber. And yeah, the like people wanting to imagine that politics didn't used to be there is something that is weaponized to build fascism. And we should talk about it. Yep. Jeremiah, there's actually something you said that I might slightly disagree with you on. If I miss, if I understand you, as you said that these people like watch older movies and kind of assume because they know nothing about history, assume that they exist in a void. I actually, in some ways think it might, it could be that, but could also in some ways be the opposite of people who have never watched an older movie. They've never watched an older movie. They've never watched an indie movie. And by an older movie, I'm talking about something like not made in their lifetime. Right. Because I feel like if you, you know, for whatever reason, consume a lot of movies from a couple decades before you are born, and you're, you end up seeing a lot of politics that doesn't make any sense because it's things that no one cares about anymore for whatever reason. Or like the anxiety of the rise of the fax machine. And you're like, right. I don't. And so it, it just seems really like good we, rom-com about that. Yeah, and it, it just it just seems like these people are so like even something like you've got mail, which is not very old, but people haven't aren't watching it anymore, and it's like so no, movies didn't used to have politics in them. Okay, well, what movies did you are you referring to? Right. Name ten movies that didn't used to have politics. Gotcha. So I don't think you've watched anything that hasn't been in the blockbuster theater. I don't think you've watched anything that hasn't been approved to play in China. And that uh, concerns me. Well, and even then, the ones that have been approved to play in China are very much political because mm-hmm. they've oh. been approved to play in China. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they made it. But this is a sort of like hurdle. like a very specific kind of modern last ten year blockbuster film right. that's very narrowly defined. They only accept like ten films a year. I'm like, what? What is your media diet? Is it nutritional? <laughs> well, yeah, I was sort of inferring the like films from someone's childhood because I think that's where a lot of it comes from. Mm. Older movies, like the ones you're talking about, like before their lifetime, I think the younger generation is sort of branching out, like generation whatever the uh, generation Z is. Yeah, I think, I think millennials maybe depending on how into media they are. I think the last couple of generations, especially with the rise of anime have really broadened the horizon in terms of, like, what they consume. Yeah, but uh, there have been other very weird, very <laughs> weird effects. Right. Very weird. <laughs> but even then, like, the there's politics in anime. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Yeah, oh, by a good Oh, that's my favorite thing. is bad. <laughs> Uh, my favorite thing is anime and Japanese video games don't have politics in them, which is one of those things that's so flooring 
<laughs> I just had to take my copy of Gundam Wing and lay on my bed for a moment in silence whenever I hear that. Yeah, you mean an entire story based around a militarized culture? I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah, child what soldiers of... going all the way back to to the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine what that's trying to say about Japanese society. Mm-hmm. Probably nothing important. Uh, yeah, no. Shut up and shut up and watch it. Oh, not having, <laughs> not being able to see a woman's underwear in this shot is censorship. Evangelion is just a, a fun romp. <laughs> anyway. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, so... Yes. That's why we started the podcast. Mm. Yes. To sort of dig at that. Do we mm. think we did a good job of that? I mean, I'm terrible at grading myself because I generally think that I'm the worst. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Let me put in a better example. Like, what... I think overall we did an okay job. I don't know if we were as... I think we were broad as opposed to... Yeah, yeah I think so. Digging deep into that, into like any particular like type well, or aspect of propaganda. I mean, even just looking at the aspects of this uh, this series we've been doing, I feel like we started in li- in literally the forties, uh, like, the- <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I feel like those were maybe the ones that are the most accurate. And then we sort of branched out into, uh, I mean, I think a, a lot of the things that we covered, we we sort of bound- like we, I think we covered a lot of individual branches of what gets wrapped up into uh, a fascist movement because there were episodes uh, where we would talk specifically about movies about the workplace and there would be ones that are talking about nations and nationalism and there would be ones where we're talking about well we're talking more about uh, like race or, or or culture groups insiders versus outsiders which is one of the reasons by the way that i think blinded by the light and paddington even though they weren't labeled as part of the series are good considerations because they're very much about the, those those boundaries of like who gets to be a real member of a community or not um, right and I, so, I, uh, yeah i think in a, in a particular way in terms of like sitting down digging deep into something and really teasing out all the pieces of one thing i i I think we could have done a stronger job on that. And there's a little bit of a learning curve. Like when we decided to do less films per episode, I actually think that ended up being a really good idea, but it took some time to realize that's what we wanted to do. And but, then we ended with a full mini series. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that I think is oddly like the flip side of that is that all these things feel like they're related to us. Hmm. And even if we can't nail down why, like why does it feel that like being a woman in the workplace and, you know, this fit, you know, pan's labyrinth and two days, one night, and this land is mine and too big to fail and black Panther. Why do these all feel like they're talking kind of about the same thing to us, which I think says a lot about how we feel about where we are indirectly which is on a, a a runaway train to hell. Right. Well, there's an episode of Deep Space Nine. Oh, yeah. When they go back to, I think it's 21st century, hmm. and Sesco and Bashir end up in what's called a sanctuary city. Hmm. And it's where all the homeless and unemployed and people stuck in poverty are stuck away from everyone else in a walled off part of the city and they're given like rations and everything. And they're basically like guarded slums. They're basically prison cities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at one point, there's a line in it where Cisco says, 
there's an incident they have to make sure it happens. And that incident, as Hisso says, forces the, the will to face all these issues they've been ignoring for like millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I remember this one. And I think what it is is we've been ignoring a lot of stuff for a long time. And it's just becoming a thing like, oh, yeah, we've been talking about this forever. Yeah, which things, I mean, is, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and these, these things are not unrelated because, especially like in America, we're like whiteness, capitalism, colonialism, employment, work, jobs, money, fantasy, like all of these things are so deeply embedded and intertwined with each other that it's it's really hard it's really hard not to talk about one kind of justice without ending up pulling in all of these other threads hmm. and it's it's it, i think that's one reason why we have ignored them because it's so hard to talk about okay we need to have a workplace be more accessible to women and then you start to to tear away at that and you start to see like the huge bubbling pink ghostbusters sludge underneath the city and you're like just 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 put the lid back on that and walk away (laughs) (laughs) like there's it's not yeah but now it's all we all know that the pink sludge is beneath the city right well no so it's basically like these issues are so complex and mid that they require an equal response to them as opposed to just a simple one size fits all. Yeah. yeah. So real um, big if you give a mouse a cookie problem. And I mean, yeah. I, I've actually just started reading through a, a giant book by uh, uh, anarchist philosopher Murray Bookchin called, uh, it, what is it, Ecology of Freedom, I think, something like that. I'm bad with remembering the names of things that I'm literally in the middle of reading. But <laughs> uh, a lot of these also tie back to, like, if there is a general theme, a lot of it is about, uh, not to be too anarchist about things, but hierarchy and domination, like saying who gets to make the rules and, and who gets to just live with them and uh, and the sort of arbitrariness of that and what it what it does to people uh, across a lot of different ways, whether it's, you know, like going back to the first episode where it's more literal forms of, of organized fascism or whether it's just the everyday domination of a workplace or uh, or any of those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, take a, a recent movie, Black Christmas, hmm. the remake of Black Christmas. The writer and director of the film have talked about, to them, misogyny has always just felt kind of like this black magic thing where it's really hard to fight because it's everywhere. Hmm. And that's what the movie dealt with, and a lot of dudes felt uncomfortable by that. Ooh, that, that, I, I'm not usually a slasher guy, but that does make me want to watch that. Yeah, no, it's really good. It's absolutely fantastic. Excellent. If only because people were so mad they were throwing things at the screen. <laughs> really? Yeah, no, no, no. Men got pissed. Oh, that owns. Uh, I need. I definitely need to put that on my list. <laughs> Jeremiah, can I ask you a sort of? Uh, you know how there's like the Bechdale test, which is uh, a question that's not like actually as. It's just a sort of rule of thumb. It's not meant to be used yeah. extensively. Yes. Uh, do the women in this film wear supportive bras? <laughs> because that is my Beckdale test. It is okay for women not to talk to each other about a woman. It's just, do the women on screen have their breasts supported in a comfortable, logical way? I do not remember. 
<laughs> okay, uh, I'm going to say that that's a high likely indication of yes if you don't remember. They do talk about Diva Cups. Oh, I think that great. might have been something that set a lot of men off. They're not used to women talking, frankly, about periods. Or... <laughs> yeah. What? Why would that? Men are men are afraid of. Uh, you have no idea. We literally had like a a movie about a kid fucking a pie. <laughs> that was like the number one comedy in America for like ten years. Right, but you're a, dicks. Dicks have to be funny because otherwise, men have to admit how embarrassing and weird they are. <laughs> it's uh, like, whereas the male psychology is a damage fracture thing. That... <laughs> I guess. I guess not just men. That's that's me being like you know cis sexist, but you know, pe- broadly culturally, because of uh, patriarchy, dicks have to be acceptable on a certain level. That yeah. uh, the vaginas uh, are de- like essentially dehumanized for it's i will say disgusting black christmas does um upend the final girl trope in a very interesting way anyway we're talking Good. about new things we should yeah. talk about things old things only on. the things we've already seen we may never explore the new i'm adding that to a list of things i need to watch though thank you jeremiah okay so let's go over the movies we have watched for this real quick okay okay for episode one we watched hangman also die they do they do Casablanca and This Land is Mine and they were all in the years 1943 and 1942 so they were essentially the same era like the Mm -hmm. same year almost Uh, second episode of this we did was 9 to 5 Support the Girls and Two Days One Night Uh, uh, to to butt in because uh, of course I got Two Days One Night may be the most intense movie I've seen for the last several years uh, and I, I would suggest anyone who looks this up, day. spell out two and one. If you just used an numerical two and one, you're going to get a South Korean reality show. <laughs> it's one of those little fun factoids of life. <laughs> um, the next part for part three, we did Starship Troopers. I love Starship Troopers. Thor Ragnarok and Pan's Labyrinth. All uh, poking at nationalism in their different ways. Part four was Black Panther and Wonder Woman. Also, part between five was, was uh, blinded by the light in Paddington. Just yeah. Part five was Big Short and Too Big to Fail. And the last was, of course, Show Me a Hero, the mini HBO miniseries. Mm-hmm. So of those, and we'll even include Paddington and Blinded by the Light. Ah, Lion. yes. Uh, which one of those do you think we did? It was like a best episode wise yeah like discussion wise i would i actually think maybe the too big to fail and big short might have yeah been one of the ones that felt the most solid to me but i, I also agree. wasn't there for at least one of them I, I wasn't there i did listen to the black panther wonder woman episode that you did with alejandra and cara uh yeah, where I mixed up Argentina and Brazil, and it haunts me to this day that I no, made that, that mistake. that was during Starship Troopers that we did that. That was, that was earlier. Oh, you're right. Well, yeah. I'm a useless as a person. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I think that Too Big to Fail and The Big Short would be the ones that I would. I think we did the best. I think best, they're also but... a perfect complement to each other. Yeah. <laughs> they're a perfect complement to each other. It's when we change the two-film scenario, and it is very relevant to a lot of things happening today. It was something that we all lived through. It's tied to a very specific moment in time. And it was at the end where we'd sort of gotten some real, real things under our belt. Also, it's a topic that I'm particularly obsessed with. So like, I I think it, 
it helped. <laughs> Although I, I actually, I think second to that, I would probably rank um, the the one about workplaces, like nine to five, two days. Yeah, to support the girls. I think is probably the second best to me. Uh, That's what I was thinking too. Quite possibly because, uh, uh, like. I'd seen nine to five before, but man, like that, that was just an excellent slate of movies. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Cause like, yeah, I mean, I like all of, I've liked all of the things that we watched for this, but the, I think maybe outside of like hangman also die, which is, you know, how do you, how do you beat that level of insane artistry uh, from back in the day? We'd have to watch a Fritz Lang movie every time, yeah. which I wouldn't yeah, be adverse to, but also you can't beating like Fritz Lang is uh, hard to rank. But like just the, the the way that those three movies showed this gamut of what you can do between like comedy and drama uh, and sort of a mixture because, uh, you know, nine to because uh, nine to five being more straight comedy, support the girls having the sort of modern dramedy sort of structure to it and two days, one night being an intense drama. Uh, showing just this gamut of ways that you can go at uh, a particular theme uh, over time and place. I still think about two days, one night, the the brilliance of having the exact same conversation in that movie, like 14 times, I think it is. (laughs) It's the exact same conversation with 14 different people with very little changes. And it's just really awesome. I, I don't know. Maybe Sorry, one, I just I'm haunted by that. I've ever seen like it's it's really up there. Two uh, days and one night, I think, hit so much because American movies. How to put this? It doesn't feel like when it comes to morality that we explore it that much. Well, France still mm-hmm. lights cities on fire when things go wrong. Right. America, America likes to pretend that we, like American media likes to pretend that we do because like, oh no, Portland has been burned to the gr-. No, Portland was fine. There were right. people protesting in like a more intense way than America is used to for a summer. But like French firefighters light themselves on fire and fight the police. So maybe get on France's level, America. Well, not only that, but like um, there's a Coast yeah, Owl movie. That. Uh, high and low. Oh yeah. In which I'm not show- familiar. So what happens is a chauffeur's son is kidnapped because they mistake it to be his employer's son. Yeah, it's it's one. It's not. It's a non samurai movie. It is. Yeah. A, yeah. Uh, which of course that made a lot of. But- <laughs> yeah, people, people hardly ever talk about. But right. We should, we should fold some of those in at some point. Um, but what happens is the kidnappers call. The, the wealthy guy it's like hey uh we have your son it's like no you don't <laughs> and they list like how much the ransom is and the ransom he can afford but he's in a position where he's just basically sold all his stock in a company and a power move and he's in a very precarious condition position that if he doesn't do this right he gets blacklisted from the company hmm. and he began he loses everything but if he doesn't pay the ransom <laughs> the chauffeur's son is killed <laughs> Yeah, it's uh... and it looks at the morality of like, well, what do you do? Of course, he does the right thing, but like the fact that like it even looks at, even treats it as this is something you should think about because Kurosawa also did another movie about a, a police officer losing I'm, his gun. I'm honestly amazed that there is even a question in the movie of whether or not he will do it because I was instantly assuming that the tension of the movie was that he does not even consider doing it for a moment. No, no, no. He does. I think that says a lot about me as an American. I'm like, well, of course he's not. He doesn't care. Okay. So, yeah, this is going to 
blow you back even more. Kurosawa did another movie about a policeman losing his gun. And he was agonizing over whether he should just get a new gun or report it. And then the guy who found the lost gun starts killing people. And he starts feeling guilty because he's using his gun. And the sort of moral responsibility that comes with owning a gun. Completely alien in every American movie I've ever seen. Let's just let's just watch both of these movies together later. <laughs> um. But, yeah, there's a sort of like... Which is not to say there aren't movies like that in America. They're just so rare they don't pop to my mind right off the bat. Mm. They're, they're not mainstream. Right. And there are questions that would uh, be weird to ask in America. Well, I, I do think when I saw Stray Dog, the curse mm-hmm. album about the police officer on the gun, I was very struck at how most American movies, it's never a question about your moral responsibility for bringing a gun into a situation. Right? It never is. As a gun owner, this angers me. (laughs) You Um, know, although I would say that that's an American sort of, at the risk of being kind of like culturally essentialist, like the American assumption is like, you're on your own. Right. You losing something. Well, America doesn't have a culture of responsibility. uh, Yeah. in In the same way that like, Japan has a culture of like public responsibility. Well, one of, one of the other things that, uh, since you don't know about High and Low, that you might not be aware of, that's fascinating, Kara, is that it is an adaptation of an American crime novel. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, pol- uh, talk uh, about Jeremiah. copganda yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and McBain's eighty-seven uh, precinct series, yep. Yep. Um, which is a, a good little group of novels uh, if you enjoy pulp. Uh, police procedurals, but also it is copaganda, and we have it's, a word for it now. So that's it's awesome. copaganda, and it is a problematic faith. <laughs> yeah, very much so. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, the, I I think there is something in terms of like how we view certain aspects, as opposed to how the rest of the world views these same things, mm-hmm. because of the belief that like America is unique in the things that we have in terms of our rights. Other countries have these rights too, but they just view them with a different They're aspect of responsibility. Yeah, right. they have the same mythology that that uh, we do here, although they have their own. But uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. Japan problematic fave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Yep. So that was Jamai's Kurosawa rant. But um, yeah. I agree with you guys on the best episode. I think part five, the big short to big to fail, was probably our best. Not only was it helpful that Kara was extremely knowledgeable. Yeah, that Kara about speaks money. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think it, like it, the the two like fit well together in a way that some of the other movies they fit, but they didn't fit as well as those two. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree a little bit on the nine to five episode. I think that's tied with the uh, one that Alejandro did with uh, Thor and the Labyrinth and the Starship. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I do rank that one highly as well. I, I, just, I think because the, the uh, two days, one night is the reason I fixate on right. the other episode so much. Otherwise, I would rank it about the same. Yeah. The only issue with the Starship Troopers episode is I think that's when you started to realize three movies is too much. Because we, yeah. we almost had no time to talk about Thor, which was sad because that was the one everyone was shocked to realize was absolutely propaganda, but was treated as some sort of fluff piece. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Which it still yeah. is. I, it's, it baffled my mind that people. <laughs> no, no. You see, the the shattering the way that li- the, 
Hella literally shattering the ceiling that covered up the crimes of the past because <laughs> she wants to celebrate the crimes of the past. That's just comic books, Jeremiah. That's what, what, not about... Oh, no, the part where she breaks through the floor to bring up that which has been hidden and dead, but yeah. the whole colony is based on, it has no metaphor. Asgard great again and go out and subjugate I, I, other places. I'm sure that the Maori Jewish person who directed, wrote, and acted in that film intended none of this. No. It's a thing where, like, it's not even subtle. The the direct the writer director who chose who cast himself as a failed revolutionary. Uh, no, no, no politics. Uh, and what's the a weirdest thing to me? Specifically, failed revolutionary with a with a very well understood Kiwi accent. The fact that I have heard people say that Winter Soldier is a better movie. Barf. You're right, and or. Joker is so complex and dark, but I do enjoy Thor Ragnarok because it's fun. I was like, no, no. I've still been putting. I still like. I still haven't watched Joker. Well, that's because we have. We don't have it on our list. I know you're. You're <laughs> the look, Jeremiah. You are the one who is going to eventually make me watch Joker. It's going to be your fault. Uh, I do want to say one important thing. Two important things actually about Thor Ragnarok. That I think is interesting. Okay. And this is going to sound very odd. Everything I want, everything that I wanted to see in that movie, I did not get because I wanted, I wanted Doctor Strange and Thor to interact more. I wanted to know more about Loki's uh, plot to take over the throne. I wanted to know more about all of that. And all of it was shoved aside for a different, probably better story. But the fact that I'm so disappointed in oh, what that movie was, but I still adore it, I think says a lot. Yeah, he, he kicked all of the, the, like, your fangirl wants aside. And you? No, these were artistic <laughs> <laughs> plans. And had they consulted me. Kara, I'm not, I, look, I, I also agree that I wanted those things. I just am fine the, with them not being there. The, uh, the other thing that I will go, that I will fight for 100%, is that the male costuming in Winter Soldier was better than in Ragnarok. Okay. Because Loki's costume looks whack and his hair looks whack. He oh. looks like something that I would see at a Comic-Con and it makes me angry every time I see it. And the way that the Winter Soldier walks up with his smoky eyeliner just makes my heart go pit a pat. Okay, <laughs> so here's my question. Because we talked about this before. Is is that because of Thor Ragnarok or just because a lot of Marvel movies, uh, especially Marvel movies, not just Marvel movies, but specifically MCU movies, have really crap hair and makeup? Oh, absolutely. A lot of them do, but Loki um, hasn't been that bad before. I think a part of it was actually that the movie was better lit. <laughs> Possibly. It was too competently made. so the way they <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was too competently ma- made. So like a lot of the holes in Loki's outfit became really clear. And I also wonder sometimes about how quickly it was made or like what, well, Tom, also, what other project Tom Hiddleston was involved in because his hair isn't right. Right. And it's clear that what they did, it's not a wig. It's clear they put extensions in his real hair to give him a more cartoony look, but it's, it's odd. Yeah. I feel, well, I feel like a lot of it is that, uh, I think they were just going for an aesthetic that you don't like as much. Well, that is uh, very likely because, but the way that the Black Widow looks in um, Winter Soldier, hmm. she looks bad. Yeah. 
anyway. would argue that Kara has a point about the lighting because the lighting is because they're so special effects heavy, they have mm-hmm. to be lit dimmer. Mm. But I'm guessing with for Ragnarok, the way he did the special effects allowed him to be brighter. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not as CGI heavy. Like, there's a lot of CGI in it, but I'm also, I would probably, there's also, like, a lot more, like, texture and mm-hmm. tactileness to the scenes on the um, junk planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing might might actually have, I could be wrong, but I might have a little bit more practicals than some of the other Marvel movies. Or he's just better at dealing with it. Could be well, also. Uh, I read that the scene where Hela crushes um, the hammer, that mm-hmm. originally took place on Asgard. And, like, it didn't. Yeah, it didn't work for the story. It didn't work for like the where it was in the story, but Taika liked the scenes, so they just ripped out the background and put them in clouds, Cloudsdale. Yeah. Which <laughs> and, was that, that which was a beautiful like set of like, which that, was a great choice. Where, but I think yeah. it says something that that whole everything in that scene is CGI except for the three people in it, mm-hmm. and the fact that he was still able to fairly brightly light it shows that he is um, competent or had a very competent like cinematographer. Or yeah, he had a, a probably a competent cinematographer and maybe just a better eye for what he wants because the Russos who are very good at getting everything done mm-hmm. are television people, and so yeah. what they want in an image is not so much clarity. Or aesthetics, but a sort of streamline of information that gives you enough to move to the next scene. Mm. Mm. Which is a lot of why all of the Russo's movies are very fun the first time you watch them, unless they're the absolute worst. But then, then, like, even later, going back to Winter Soldier, which is, I think, the Ur example, I had a lot Mm -hmm. of fun watching Winter Soldier the first time. Every time I rewatch it, it's less good. Yes. Yep. It's fascinating. I, I enjoyed it the first time, and I agree with everyone else. I thought it was perfect. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, I was on acid. Well, but, well, but also, and this has been brought up by plenty of people, uh, but like nothing in The Winter Soldier mattered over time, and we yep. didn't know that at the time. Yeah, we didn't know that. It felt, right. it felt game-changing, and then it wasn't. And also, like... Then it turned out the to actor, be what comic books always is. The <laughs> actor that plays Bucky leaned in so hard to just being like a force of nature Mm. like he he sells it like he's like i'm gonna wear this eyeliner and i'm a man's man and i'm like yes (laughs) but like like like, there's a lot of really great like choreography and fight scenes and stuff like that in that film pieces are great they just don't build anything it it doesn't build to anything but partially because the later movies betrayed that um ultimately ending in the key to the marvel universe is um condoms I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Uh, No, okay, no, we're stopping here. But I'll tell you what the punchline there is, is it's Kara going on a very long rant about how Thanos doesn't understand how reproduction works at all. Okay. uh, (laughs) Anyway, moving on. You know what's been more effective than the snap? Uh, Condoms. Just just universal (laughs) condoms. Just if he'd snapped his fingers and suddenly everybody's, like, dick or alien equivalent was wrapped up. I tried to stop it. <laughs> okay, I am I'm now wrong, caught up. But... I know I'm on the same page, yeah. and we're turning. Um, Think about this all the time. <laughs> so for me, the worst at the worst, the one we failed the most at mm. wasn't mm. anyone's fault mm. because fault. we both love Wonder. We all three love Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Oh, mm. oh it's the one I wasn't there for. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that was just because mm. I don't. I was out of it. I well, that was also the. Sh- I think. I think that 
like it was the shortest episode if i recall and it was while your home was on fire uh so there was a lot of stuff going yeah. on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was dealing with other issues as well. So oh, like... yeah. I forgot. <laughs> so, yeah. Cause I, I, I went back and I, I've, I've re listened to the, or I've, I, I listened to it, uh, like back when you first did it and I re listened to it again recently. And I was like, oh, yeah. This is, this is just short. If you'd, if you'd all had more time and were less stressed, I don't think it, it would have really, uh, yeah. I think part better. four was just everything getting to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the slow erosion of living in a failed state. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it seemed to be hitting kind of a, a critical mass. What? When did that come out? Like what month? That I don't have down. Yeah, no one knows. It, no one knows how time goes. Because was any time around August or July that would have been shortly after. For me, somebody died and we lost power for a few days after the derecho oh, collapsed man. a tree on our house. Uh, it was. It came out in September, so it would have been. Uh, okay, late September, so, so it probably would have been in earlier September, I assume. Yeah. yeah. Where the, the darkness was truly dawning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, honestly, I think that was the weakest episode simply because of that. Because we were all mentally exhausted and didn't really know, like, because we both have, because I know we've said a lot about these two movies before, yeah. so it wasn't like we didn't know what we wanted to well, say. Also, I, I am someone who, if had I been there, I would have uh, vehemently agreed with Alejandra saying that Ares shouldn't have been in Wonder Woman at all, and it should have just <laughs> been a red herring about the human condition, and that would have been, the, and uh, filmmakers that would have been a much better movie. That would have been a better movie. I, I 100% agree with that take. Well, Patty Jenkins has since come out and said, because we didn't know it at the time, yeah. but she came out afterwards and was like, yeah, no, they forced me to put that action scene in the end. I didn't want to do that. Oh, well, yeah. what do you mean? It was. Uh, what do you? She didn't have to come out and say that. It was obvious. It was obvious. <laughs> well, she it was... said it because she was touting about how much control she had on Wonder Woman eighty four comparatively. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that yet, and I wanted to part see of it out of context, which didn't uh, land well. But we're, we'll watch it at some point. Does it have good aesthetics? Oh yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Patty Jenkins understands how to. Patty Jenkins uses color better than most modern filmmakers. There's a layer and texture to him. Very true. Mm, but I'm but I'm here for that. Although this is one of those things where like, and it shouldn't be because pandemic needs to be taken seriously. But like, it strikes me as a movie that would be best served by being in theaters. Yeah, one hundred percent. I even said it might be one of the things about Wonder Woman eighty four. It's like I wonder if I would have been more overwhelmed had I seen it in theaters because it's meant to be larger than life. Yeah. Um, um, it has a lot of issues, but I enjoyed what it was trying to do. Like, it swings and it doesn't exactly connect. Mm. The fact that it swung at all. Also, we don't see big swings in blockbuster movies. We see very Not anymore. Swings, yeah. Know, uh, that are, are barely swings at all, but more like gestures. Um, yeah. So, gestures moving- at a police state. <laughs> Moving forward, is there anything we want to do differently or continue doing? Like, I think the the really the one thing we did that we should probably continue is just like either the two movie or the one movie. I think yeah, I think anything more than two is too much. Even right. like, I mean, the reason that Show Me a Hero was still like, honestly, uh, Show Me a Hero should have deser- deserves more attention than than our format allows because so much happens in it. And, right. Uh, uh, yeah, there, there, there's just so much. But I'm like, you could feasibly do an entire podcast yeah, just I, talking I about each add, episode. 
yeah, I'm still glad that we did it, but um, I do think that our our little uh, show here works best when it's a more limited, like having two things to bounce off of each other, uh, I think does work best. I feel that we essentially should have about four to six hours of media per episode. Okay. Whether that works out to one very long movie, a mini series, two movies, like something like that. Uh, I think I think that three movies is more intense than we meant it for it to be. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Go, going forward, because I I want. Like uh, to, did you want like to spend to be a like a person? Hmm. Hmm. What? What were, you, what were you saying? Oh, I just would like to be a better, more competent person in every well, aspect of my life. Join the club out of jackets, Joe. though. It's too late for that. We're in our thirties. Um. <laughs> no. Some of us in our forties. <laughs> well tough for you <laughs> it's not easy um uh, how'd you get up there yeah. Yeah, it wasn't easy. <laughs> jeremiah well, this you. is what happens Hold when you on, cut a line on, i just did my favorite joke of the world and i need a moment <laughs> jeremiah uh loves big trouble in little china uh especially the bit where they yell up at uh at, at, at young how'd you get up there <laughs> wasn't <laughs> easy the greatest explanation in the world. Yeah. Egg Shen is the greatest character. Of all, <laughs> all right, I'm back. Uh, Welcome back. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Um, I would like to maybe dig a little bit more into if you guys are comfortable, like the the messaging of the movie and how it's structured. Yeah, I, I think that that bears more discussion. Because, think... go ahead. I was, I was because like I think a lot of people don't like basic media literacy, mm. helping people understand. Because I remember when going back to Thor Ragnarok, talking to someone, and they didn't realize the whole Asgard isn't about uh, about a people, isn't a place, as a people, mm. was meant to be taken seriously because Odin said it. Hmm. And I was like, yes, but everyone says. It. Yeah, it's repeated. By a lot of different people. It becomes a motif. Like, <laughs> it's like, you're so close. Yeah. And also, one, well, I mean, the, one of the other, sorry, just thinking of Thor Ragnarok now, is one of the things that makes that a more powerful statement is that we see how different the people in Asgard are. Right. Because it's not, it's not a people in terms of blood. It's a people in terms of a community. Right. I, I think is one of the things where it, it turns it, it, it oh that movie's so good <laughs> again I wonder why the Maori Jewish man would have these <laughs> themes in the film that he wrote it seems incomprehensible but mm-hmm. um, I think that, that for me the hardest thing is uh, for me to gather my thoughts into any sort of coherent order that's not yelling at people about things <laughs> and uh and in a particular way since Thaddeus and I live together <laughs> like the number of times it'll be like I'll be doing something he'll be doing something for like four hours absolute silence and he'll suddenly turn to me or I'll turn to him and say and another thing <laughs> and like it just be like I I think that I I feel like I'm like I need to do more pre-planning of like what I want to say and how it dovetails with at least what else Thaddeus is going to say, mm. um, uh, which I have always intend to do, and then instead I just out of four hours of silence yell at him and another thing, which is not <laughs> as constructive as one would hope for a podcast. 
No, but it's <laughs> it's how you build a sitcom. Yeah, it's great. Honestly, uh, the studio audience loves our dynamic. I'm sure they do. <laughs> don't tell us otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> we don't listen to writer feedback. That's true. Uh, um. Yeah. Like, um, I just bought a book I'll probably be reading, and I'll probably be influencing some of the things we talk about. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what book? Um, dig it out, because I, too, can't remember the titles. <laughs> I can't remember the names of things I'm reading. <laughs> National Security Cinema, The ah. Shocking New Evidence of Government Control in Hollywood. Ooh. I like that. So that's even beyond the uh, the usual, like, oh, the the military gets to control movies that have, uh, get it gets the sake of control in movies that uh, use military stuff. Yeah. Well, even any time, not just any kind of military equipment, but any type the the government at all is utilized. Oh yeah. Like they're, they're, uh, if you they want. have an outreach office for that. Yeah. They posted people outside of top gun to recruit people. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my happiest memories for many years was that I saw Independence Day on the Fourth of July, and the more time goes by, the more it's like waking up from a dream and being like, "Wait, why did we? <laughs> why did we? Why was that such a huge thing? <laughs> why was that movie? Well, you see, if the world Good. was destroyed by aliens, the best thing that could possibly happen would be for the whole world to rally around America. <laughs> yeah, like like it's the, the individual elements of the movie and like the themes and stuff aren't bad, but like when you get to the end of it, you're like, why is that a movie about how the American way of life and the militaries are world dominating heroes fighting a colonialist parasitic aliens, and no one. No one is like... It's only bad to be colonized by a technologically superior force when it's done to white people. We all know this. I mean, I'm just going to say this. It had Judd Hirsch. Therefore, the movie was immaculate. (laughs) Uh, uh, It was great when uh, Data from Star Trek got puppeted by a a weird alien monster. Oh, Oh, that's... Oh my god. And we just had another care realization <laughs> did you, moment. Did you just realize that the scientist was Brent Spiner? <laughs> yes! Uh... I missed that scene the first time I watched it because as soon as the alien's That's head scary. split open, I jumped out of my seat and it was an old theater seat and the theater seat snapped behind me <laughs> and I fell on the ground and laid there hiding underneath the seat until the scene was over. <laughs> it's a good one. I literally jumped out of my seat. I was like nine. <laughs> the president wet my pants. Uh Oh, All right. So, <laughs> now that we've gone down that uh, aisle of memory lane, yeah. well, do you guys have any ideas you want to do going forward, or just continue? I think we need we to have? do an exploration of more of what data is in that I didn't know about because I'm uh, still I, mind Dad blown. Had a list of things to talk to your therapist about. Um. <laughs> uh, he's in. He's a recurring character in Night Court. What? I mean, Night Court is just one of the greatest sitcoms of all time. Yeah, uh, he plays a hillbilly. What? Yeah. I'll send you some clips. Yes. 
<laughs> this is like the that is this is like the way that you insist that like red velvet didn't exist until it did one day like yeah. i've i've shifted into a different universe that i didn't know about before yep that happens i need to check my social security number oh, get, get i don't know about that <laughs> um but uh, okay so being a little bit more analytical of the messaging yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I always do need to be a little bit more technically aware while watching uh, films because I, you know, I, I'm better than I was as a young man, but I I do just love watching a movie. Like, I, I, I do like getting just sucked into stuff. And, uh, you know, I, it, maybe I just need to take more time to rewatch things before we uh, uh, discuss them instead of just uh, watching them the one time and thinking about what I take from there. Right. Uh um it's important to get a, a more technical read on things yeah uh, also just doing a little bit of research going in which we, i'm sure we all did but probably maybe just do a little bit more hmm. yeah just sort of more more nail down some things before opening one's mouth uh i should i should probably read more uh, leftist theory so that i can be a more active propagandist on the show I don't know. Uh, at some point, you just gotta understand also how government works. <laughs> no, I know. I know how government works. I know how finance works too. I'm a special boy. <laughs> well, no, like I think there is a, a, a bizarre chasm opening up between leftist theory and leftist understanding of how the modern government works. I'm like, yes, well, longer because... conversation, but yes, I, yeah. I do think there are plenty of uh, very short-sighted uh, sort of leftist theoretical positions. <laughs> I, my, my goal is more, one of the things that I like about the book I'm reading now by, uh, by Bookchin is him talking very much about how much uh, sort of theorizing across the century has been more interested in abstractly like teasing out the things that older theorists talked about instead of looking at the practical things that exist now and uh, what it means to uh you know what what it what it means to want to make a better world uh so it's you know good stuff awesome my, my personal bugbear is that so many people do not understand a higher level like basic higher level finances and it, it worries right me a lot. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> and for, for the record, I don't pretend that or I, I don't delude myself into thinking that I do. I refuse to learn those things because I think <laughs> they're evil. <laughs> I just don't do well with numbers. Thaddeus doesn't either. He gets very upset when I just say a string of numbers at him, and I don't know yeah, why. because you're clearly trying to hack my brain, <laughs> and I don't appreciate that. Appreciate Thaddeus it. is also one of the people who watched Terminator and came away with the wrong message. What was the message he came away with? <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> that and everyone is a robot. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I'm pretty sure any of you could be, so... <laughs> Because no human being would think you're trying to hack his brain, but a robot. See, see, that's the thing, though, is people aren't paying attention to their brain. You don't have to be a, a robot to have a hackable brain, Jeremiah. Propaganda Isn't it one is one of the latter plots hack. of the Terminator that there's a Terminator that doesn't know that they're a Terminator? No, I haven't watched any past three. Isn't it like in Genesis? I don't remember anything about Genesis outside the fact that it had Christian Bale. No, that wasn't the one with Christian Bale. Christian Bale was Salvation. Oh, yeah. Salvation. I know that despite not having seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Terminator 3? 
Th- Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines was the one with like the sexy lady Terminator. Um, no, I haven't. I've only seen the first two then. And it was the one where the world finally ended, and like John Connor. Uh, it, yeah, it was. Uh, Dog Fates really good. Which one is that? Oh, that's the, the last one, one that came out. Arnold back and and also yeah. They, they well, just... most of them brought Arnold back. <laughs> yeah, but like old Arnold, not like <laughs> let's make Arnold young. <laughs> CGI Arnold. Yeah. All right, so back on topic. Which what? We... <laughs> um, so going forward, we're going, we're going to try to be a little bit better and in more in depth in our discussion and analysis. Kind of uh, bit more focused. Yeah. Um, do you want to still just excellently be... demonstrated during this conversation? <laughs> Our commitment to like narrowness of focus. Hey, we're and following scope. an outline, all right? <laughs> Our... Oh, we. Uh, okay, somebody maybe I forgot there was one. The outline you specifically requested, asked for, and that right. I looked at, and I have opened right now that I forgot <laughs> that I was looking at. Look, ADHD is a hell of a drug. Um... <laughs> it is. <laughs> Uh, I even sent it to you later <laughs> because I knew you would. Forget. She she did look at it. She just, I she did. I did read it. It's open right now. Yeah, it's it, it's just. It's right in front of me. It's okay. It's okay. I just want you to know this also why we stopped doing outlines. <laughs> <laughs> so because we was we we were better focused without the outline. <laughs> I am a monster disguised as Honestly, a person. Honestly, I, I think what we need is less outlines and more segments. Like, okay, we can only talk about <laughs> this thing for this amount of time. We have a the timer clock. is going. You have five minutes. What's the plot? Go, 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 go. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, chess. Something else I suck at. Great. I love this. I love chess. No, no clocks on chess. Infinite chess. That's the only way. Um, Five-dimensional tests, that is. No. All uh, right. So do you guys have anything to add? Uh, I mean, I, I feel like if we if we more frequently reference Big Trouble in Little China, I think that would be Because, <laughs> I mean, can't really everything be improved by, by more um, more Big Trouble in Little China? I, I think we should somehow work in an episode about David from Prometheus. <laughs> That's just you and me who are obsessed with that character, Kara. No one else cares. Oh. <laughs> Then I got nothing. Try harder. My mantra for every aspect of my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think I think uh, you know uh, having having a little bit more focus on, like you said, just having those like some some particular lenses to click into our analysis, be it uh, right. the political or the the like the the more material political or the theoretical. Like I think those are uh, good things to to bring in. Um, so the next episode we will be doing, uh, as suggested by Kara, The Mummy. But not just <gasps> The Mummy. You forgot about this, didn't you? I did! I'm so happy! <laughs> it's such a great surprise! This we're, is like when I find anything in my house. We're going to be watching the, watching and discussing the, the three first entries into The Mummy series, right? The original... The Brendan Fraser one and the aborted Dark Universe one, as yes. I recall. Yes. yes, the Dark Universe one is so bad and so good. <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. No, I think I've, about I've, it all I've the time. 
I, I think there's a lot to pick at in uh, in those those different transitions from from horror to adventure to whatever the third one was. <laughs> what happens uh, when you let Tom Cruise come in and you don't have a strong enough director to say no? Ah. Y- yeah, just uh, the 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 change in gender of the mummy is such an exciting choice, and it's so bizarre that they're like, you know, we have a really good movie that's really trying to push on some ideas, but it would be better if we let the cultist ruin it. <laughs> you short, short motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry. Look, the only person who can direct Tom Cruise is Christopher McQuarrie, and no one will convince me otherwise. I mean, honestly, you're not 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so what's next one, we'll be talking about The Mummy. Hmm. That's all the time we have for, for now. Say goodbye, Thad and Kara. Bye. Goodbye, Thad and Kara. <laughs>